Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, I'm Brenda. And I'm Julia. And you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Today we have on with us Heather Monahan. She is a best-selling author, a keynote speaker, an entrepreneur, the founder of Boston Heels. She's broken a million glass ceilings. She is the confidence queen. I could go on and on, but you guys already know who she is, and we're so excited to have her. Thanks for being with us, Heather. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. We are so excited to have you. We're going to be talking a lot about confidence, about boundaries things that women in their 20s come up against a lot. So we're glad to have you. But before we get into all of that, go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from, and how old you are, if you don't mind saying. Sure. So I'm from Worcester, Massachusetts, originally. I, now I live in Miami, Florida. Major upgrade, just I FYI. You. <laughs> yeah. you can live so in Miami. Definitely live in Miami. And it, this was a good choice. It, was, it did not happen by chance. I designed this, right? So I grew up pretty poor and um, my childhood was not great. And I just figured I needed to start working because my mother struggled financially and single mom, four kids and using food stamps. And there was always this uncertainty. So I just thought to myself, you know, I've got to start working now. And so when I was nine or 10, I got my first paper route. And then I started bussing tables. And then I started waiting tables. And then I started bartending. And then before you knew it, I had learned the sales process and sales skills while I was just trying to hustle and make some money, you know, going to school. I was graduating from college and I was bartending. And and I suggest to everyone to bartend and if you're in your 20s, that's nothing to yeah, it's that's not something to be embarrassed about. It's something to embrace. You will learn so much that's applicable to business at corporate America, entrepreneurial, everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful for that work ethic I had and what I learned. And so I remember seeing someone drive in in a beautiful BMW or Mercedes. And I said, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm in sales. You should be in sales. You'd be great at it. And I said, well, what do you sell? And he said, I sell wine. And I'm like, okay, I bartend. I know all about wine. I'll do that. So I went to work for the Gallo Winery as soon as I graduated college based on someone's car because I wanted to make a lot of money. And that was really you know, the strategy behind what I was doing. I went into that job. I was one of three women out of 100 men. And obviously, you know, it can be intimidating walking into situations where you're the person that everyone's kind of looking at, like, what is she doing here? And I decided to leverage what was unique and different about me. So everyone would say, don't do it this way. Do it the way we've always done it. Do it. This is how you do it. And I, I would think to myself, well, that's BS. I can, I'll find a better way. And I did. And I encourage everyone to do the same. Don't take the direction that mediocre people are giving you. And so I learned that business inside and out. I worked weekends and nights, which everyone told me not to do. And I became the number one salesperson in that company the first year. And I was promoted and was the youngest brand manager and female that they had ever had. And then I was sexually harassed and I, I wasn't confident back then. So I just quit my job because I didn't want to deal with what was happening at work. And I went to a dinner and met a random person at a dinner. I was with my boyfriend at the time and I just started chatting him up because I know good things happen when you meet people. So I walked up and introduced myself and he said, wow, you could sell. I said, I already do sell. And he said, come to work for me tomorrow. I said, you can't afford me. And we didn't have Google back then, ladies. So this is a while ago, right? So um, I, I, I couldn't do research on him because I didn't have that technology accessible to me at the time. And so I just threw out a number, which is never the right thing to do. But I didn't know back then. I said, $80,000. And he said, done, you're hired. And what I learned now that I want to share with you is I left so much money on that table. The fact that this man was pursuing me the first night he met me to hire me, he wanted me, he saw some value in me that I wasn't seeing yet. And I sold myself really short. The guy was worth a hundred million dollars and he could have paid me a million dollars a year, but I didn't know it. Right. So that was lesson number one in business that I learned is don't undervalue yourself when someone else sees that value. 
I went to work for him for a year, became his top seller. He offered me an equity partnership and he said, you can't ask where you're going to move. You have to go for the money. I was all about going for the money. He dropped me off in Saginaw, Michigan, which was horrible. I didn't know anybody, but I knew that I could outwork everyone. And I turned a $25 million property into a $55 million property in under three years and made quite a bit of money for myself and a lot of money for him. So I left there. I went to a publicly traded company, much larger company in Florida, and I pitched myself for a job that didn't exist, which was VP of sales. I was awarded the position, promoted three times during my tenure there over 14 years. I was named one of the most influential women in radio in 2017. And three weeks later, I was fired unexpectedly when the CEO I had worked for became ill, he elevated his daughter to replace him and she fired me immediately. So I was devastated. I'm a single mom. I've built a very expensive lifestyle, you know, based upon the positions I had and all the money that I was making. And I didn't know where I was going to make any money. So I decided, okay, there's something I can do. I can raise my hand and ask for help. I'm going to put a post on social media because no one was calling me. And I posted on social media, I have just been fired and it is awful. And if I've ever impacted your life in any way, I need to hear from you today. And that post went viral and people told me, take that post down. It makes you look really pathetic. And I checked in with the one voice and opinion that matters and that's your own. And I I said to myself, you're not pathetic. You got fired because a woman was jealous of you, not because you are bad. And I said, no, I'm leaving that post up, even though everyone told me not to. And thank God I left that post up. That post went crazy viral and Froggy from the Elvis Duran show, which is the second largest radio show in the US, tweeted at me, Heather, if I can ever help, let me know. And I learned another lesson in that moment, which is convert every opportunity someone extends you in the moment. We live in a very fast paced world and people will move on and they will get busy with their life and they're going to forget you. So I tweeted right back, get me on the show. And he said, okay. So I flew to New York. I went on the show and halfway through the interview with Elvis, Elvis said to me, well, Heather, obviously you're writing a book. And I said, well, obviously, but I wasn't writing a book. I had always thought of myself as the social one. I had a sister who was a smart one. But that wasn't me. I wasn't a literary major. What did I know? I didn't even read many books back then. And so he transferred his confidence and conviction to me in that moment. And I decided to run with it. So I jumped on my plane and I Googled, how do you write a book? And I saved the paper. I have it here in my house. And it basically says, just you have to be disciplined. You have to write every single day. And I thought, well, I'm fired. I don't have a job. So I'm going to write every day. And I did that. I held myself to task and I wrote a ton. And then I figured I need someone who's ahead of me now because I don't know what to do next. So I hired an editor who had written 19 books and I had written none, right? And so I sent him all the writing that I had and he came back to me two weeks later and he's like, this is great. Here's how I want to restructure it. Here's where I, you should do this. Here's what, you know, he was able to tell me very quickly, do this, do this, do this. And we had that book done so fast and out to market in under a year. I self-published that book. The first week it came out, it trumped Donald Trump for number one on the business biography list. And yes, I have a screenshot to prove that one. And my background is sales and marketing. So now I'm like, this is my wheelhouse. I'm going to go market the heck out of this book and sell it. So I Googled what is the best way to sell books? And it said, speak. It was funny because in corporate America, I'd been there for over 20 years. I had to speak at least three or four times a week, huge audiences, but no one ever paid you for that. That was part of your job. I didn't even know there was a business called speaking business. It just wasn't on my radar. So I just started calling companies, cold calling. Hey, can I come in and speak for you? Hey, if you buy some books, I'll come in. And then one day someone said, well, what's your speaker fee? And I said, hang on a second. And I Googled speaker fee. And I realized people are getting paid anywhere from 10,000 a speech to 100, 500,000. And that's when I said, pump the brakes. I, I, I need to stop focusing on this book and I need to start focusing on a speaking career. So the lesson there is no matter what industry you're in, pick your head up out of your industry and start looking at where you, your unique skills and talents could make you more money or deliver more value for you. Everyone told me when I was back in the radio business, you're an amazing speaker. Wow, you're the best speaker I've ever seen. And I just thought, oh, great. I'm good at my job. I never knew I could have been making 10 times what I made back there had I pivoted to the speaker business years ago. So I moved to the speaker lane. I applied for every TEDx in the world. I finally landed a TEDx. I delivered my TEDx. It got promoted to TED, translated to six languages. 
I interviewed Sarah Blakely live on stage in September of or October of 2019. And my speaking business took off. And then the pandemic hit. And I decided to take that opportunity because I lost all my money now for speaking. No one was having events. I decided to say, what problem can I solve from my home? Because now my son's on Zoom school, I can't leave. And I started going to my DMs to look, what were people asking me for? What problem can I solve that I can charge for? And I saw all the time, do you offer coaching? Do you do business consulting? Is there any chance I can get on a phone call with you? And I thought, you know what, I'm gonna launch a program. And so I just put a post up, I said, you asked, I answered my first ever coaching program, I've got limited uh, seats available. If you want in, DM me now. And I sold that coaching program out. And that's what got me through quarantine when there was no speaking engagements. And then I decided, you know what? I wrote a book on my own, but I'd like to write a book with an expert, like a real publishing house. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go after the biggest author there is in my genre, nonfiction. And that's Rachel Hollis back in, you know, 2019, 2020. She had one of the number one best-selling books in the country. So I Googled, who is Rachel Hollis's agent? And I found her. And I sent her a note to her website. And I basically said, listen, I'm similar to your number one best-selling author in many regards. However, I'm not very religious, but I am very business driven. So I compliment her well without competing with her. She's been more into arts and crafts, religion, being a mom. And in this space, I've been more on the business side. So I think that it would be a nice compliment, not something that would take away from her, it would add value in something unique and new to you. And she said, I love what you're saying, but I'm not interested in business. However, my partner is, why don't you talk to my partner? So I got on a call with her partner, we hit it off. And then she said, okay, get me a, a book proposal. I didn't know how to write one. I said, well, who writes good book proposals? She said, call Peter Economy. So I called Peter Economy. I hired Peter Economy. I made a major investment in, in hiring him. And we wrote that book proposal. And she said no to me 14 times and kept challenging me to be better, better, better. And on the 15th time during the pandemic, she said yes. yes. And she went to market and she pitched my book proposal to 15 major publishing houses. And the first five came back as no, but I've learned at this point in time, that means nothing. Sales is a numbers game and all you need is one yes. Mm -hmm. And HarperCollins Leadership, which is the best publishing company, in my opinion, that you could go with, said yes. And so we went with HarperCollins Leadership. I wrote my second book and that that is coming out in November. And then oddly enough, I got a call from a friend of mine who said, you're not going to believe this. He's a professor at Harvard. He And I had, I taught a class for him at Harvard about a year and a half ago as a guest. He said, they just called and they're awarding me budget to bring on a second professor. And I can pick anyone that I choose as long as the school approves. I'd like to submit you to be a professor at Harvard. This is just uh, six weeks ago. And I said, uh, yeah. Yeah, of course. He's, he yeah. said, it's not a lot of money, Heather. And you know, it's one day a week. And I said, just yes, yes, yes. So he submitted me, they approved me. And I started teaching at Harvard um, in the middle of January is when our first class was and, and it's been going great. So it's, it's a crazy ride. Oh my God. So <laughs> congratulations on, on, on everything. <laughs> that is so exciting. And we can't wait for the new book. There is so much in that, that I can't wait to unpack. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad that you laid it out like that. There's already so many pieces of wisdom and advice that everybody's going to take away. The thing that keeps standing, the thing that over and over kept standing out to me is pivot pivoting, pivoting, not being afraid to pivot. I think that that's something that that I notice in our friends, women in their 20s are afraid to do because we feel like if we change directions, that's a failure. And, you know, you look at companies that, my dog, sorry, that refuse to pivot, like Blockbuster, Blackberry, you know, those companies don't exist anymore. And it's amazing how we can know something like that, but it's still so scary for yourself to ascribe to that, to ascribe to I can pivot. Pivoting is not a failure. When you were in that first place of like, okay, time to pivot for the first time, was there fear around that? Did you have that self-doubt? And how have you instilled the belief in yourself over and over and over that pivoting is the way to go? Yeah, I'm sure. You know, for 14 years, I stayed in a company that I knew I was bigger than, that I didn't go out and leave and try to you know, do something new because I was scared. I was paralyzed by, I used to call it golden handcuffs. You know, I don't want to lose the money. And and what if it's, what if I try something new and I fail and I can't pay my bills? You know, that 
fear kept me in an awful situation for a long time. Here's what I've done. I've reframed fear as when you're a kid, people say to you, you know, if you're scared, go home, you know, hide under your bed if you're scared, just, you know, don't come out. But the reality is maybe when you're three, that's really helpful. But when you're any age over 18 and you can make your own decisions, you need to see fear as a green light that means go and go faster. Mm. The minute you feel it, you know, the day I got up to give my TEDx, I was petrified. And that meant growth opportunity. Here's a chance for you to grow. If it was scary and, and everyone in the world was running away from it, that means it's something big. This is something that could change people's lives. It could change your life. Like this could put you to the next level. That means go, go faster, Heather, right? So I remember standing out there looking at that red circle and I hated the idea of not leaving the red circle. And I hated the idea that I only got 10 minutes and I hated all the constraints they put on you when you give a TEDx. And I remember standing backstage, I was the first speaker and I wanted to cry. I was so, so nervous. And mind you, I'd given thousands of speeches at this time. It's not about that. It's For me, it was the conditions I was put in. This was a new experience, right? So people need to understand that sometimes on the outside, it looks like, oh, that's no big deal. But to the person, it can be really for various reasons, right? You never know what's going on in someone's life. I was petrified. To me, this was like my make or break. I had to nail this. And I decided at the end, I closed my eyes and I just said, if you don't go out there, you're not going to forgive yourself. If you go out there and blow it, I'm going to be so proud of you. I'll be so, because that's a growth step. And at the end of the day, I just decided I walk out there. That's the win. The win is about stepping out onto the circle. And so the win is about stepping into the fear, seeing the fear as a green light that means go and going for it. Oh my gosh. I think that that's something that so many people need to hear. And we were actually talking the other day, Heather, with Julia about failure in general and the impact that the fear of failure has on us. And we actually were, were taking a Peloton class and um, one of the, the coaches had said, you either win or you learn. And it just hit us so hard because we said we put so much emotional energy into the fear of failure when we really learn something out of everything. And something that stood out to me about your original background and story that you shared was having the courage to choose to believe in the unique and different aspects about yourself and channeling that as your power as opposed to trying to fit a mold. And we talk so much on this podcast about authenticity because we've come up against so many experiences ourselves where we've had the choice to either choose to fit a mold. And sometimes we do that, right? Because we're conditioned to do it and fit inside this little box. And every single time that we've chosen the usually more uncomfortable route of being authentic, it has had so much higher of a payoff in the way that it reaches people, in the way that, you know, it impacts others by being vulnerable, just like you said about your status and sharing something so vulnerable to the world. And we've seen time and time again that that is the most impactful for ourselves and for others. So being that you talk so much about confidence and in our 20s, I feel like it's definitely a time where people are still in the process of cultivating that. I think we're constantly cultivating confidence. What was like the major one major tip that you could give to someone that's really struggling with their self-belief and their confidence and looking to make some moves, but not really having that belief. Just, they're just not believing in themselves that it's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so beliefs come from a lot of different places and and I'll give you two things. One, everyone's telling themselves a story. So for a long time, I used to tell myself a story that I wasn't the smart one. I was the social one, right? So think to yourself, what story are you telling yourself right now and think hard you're telling yourself a story everybody is that story is either helping you and benefiting you or it's holding you back for me my story was holding me back and thankfully two years ago around Christmas time I took my son to Disney my sister flew in with her kids met me there she was a smart one I was a social one and so we were sitting talking and she said oh I took my kids in for their genius IQ test and I started laughing And she said, that's not funny. Why are you laughing? I said, who in the world would take kids for genius IQ tests? This is ridiculous. And she said, you didn't take your son? I said, no, why would anyone but you do that? Because you're the smart one. And she said, you don't remember? And I said, remember what? And she said, when I, my sister skipped grades, had perfect SATs, you know, she has a doctorate, everything, everything you would think of the smart one would have. She's the one that was supposed to write the book, right? Um, however, I'm the one that actually did, which is so bizarre because that all goes back to action, not to who other people tell you you are. Yeah. So anyhow, so we're sitting there talking. She says, do you remember? I said, tell me, what, what do I not know? 
She said, when we were little, I was skipping grades and they needed to figure out what grade I was supposed to go to. So on the weekend, my mother had to take my sister into a testing lab to find out what level she was at um, for IQ. And that would determine what grade she'd go to. They didn't have a babysitter, so they had to bring me. So I was sitting in the waiting room as a little kid waiting for my sister. And they felt bad that I was so young sitting alone that the doctors brought me in and tested me too. I don't remember any of this, which is so crazy. I was very young, but yeah. anyhow, my sister says, you don't remember the outcome, do you? I said, oh my God, don't tell me. I don't want to hear how smart you are and how I'm not. I'm not interested. I don't care. It's irrelevant to me. I've, I'm successful. It's not a problem. And she said, that's not what I'm saying. She said, yes, I had the highest score they'd ever seen. She said, but you tested genius level. You tested the highest of the charts beneath me. She had, she had to put that in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what and I'll tell you, what that's what sisters do. But I'll tell you that moment. And that was two years ago. I'm 46 now. So I was 44 when that happened. That changed my life. Mm. I went back to the hotel at night. I couldn't go to sleep. And I started thinking, what would I have stepped into that? I remember countless times hearing that there were VCs that were backing an opportunity and I was invited to a meeting and I was, oh, they went to Harvard. I'm not going there. They're going to say things. I don't know what it means. I'm going to look like an idiot. I don't, I don't want to expose myself in that regard. No, no, no. And I would continuously say no to really possibly amazing opportunities. If I thought someone was leading with academia, I'd be in meetings with our CFO, who's the woman that ended up firing me. And she tried to use big words or jargon to intimidate. And it would work because I, I think, oh, she's so smart. And I'm not. Well, when my sister gave me that gift of, hang on, the story you've been telling yourself your entire life is a lie. And in fact, flip it around. You are the smart one, Heather. And I left that day and I've never looked back. So when Harvard called and said, do you want to teach a class? I raised my hand. And I said, yes, I do. Because I'm telling myself a story now. I've never seen the paper or the test or whatever. I don't even know. And I don't care, frankly. I just tell myself now, you are smart. So you are going to go. And so start telling yourself, whatever story you're telling yourself that's holding you back, start flipping it. Because the reality is, I guarantee you don't have proof for it. I guarantee you took it on from a story someone else told you that you don't even remember correctly. Because I don't even remember this stuff correctly yeah. either, right? So memories fail us oftentimes. So decide to start telling yourself a story that's going to benefit you and put you to the next level. Oh, I love that. Especially the proof part, because it's like, where did we get this negative story <laughs> or this, this self-limiting story? And it reminds me of that story in Matthew McConaughey's book about that he, he, his mom always told him that he was like little Mr. Texas. And he found out like two years ago that he was runner up and it like <laughs> totally like shook him. But he was like, but I think that I am, I have the success I have today because I really believed. And my mom told me every day growing up, that I was little Mr. Texas. She knew he was runner up, but she <laughs> told him that he, he won. And it's like, we can do that for ourselves. But so often we get stuck in this trap of the negative self-talk, the limiting stories that you're right. Most of the time we don't even have basis for. And yeah. do you have like any kind of like tools or practices that you use when it comes to doing that? Well, I just interviewed a man named, a very well-known doctor named Dr. Cross, who just wrote a book called Shatter, which is all about negative self-talk uh, on my podcast. And he taught me a life hack I never heard of. It works. It's scientifically proven. He's a doctor and he has a lab that tests these things every single day. And here's the hack and it works. And it's so funny. I actually did this in my life and didn't know it was a hack. Like I, by chance, was doing this to myself, but I've been sharing it with other people and other people aren't doing it. So typically what happens, and I don't know how I freaking figured that out, but thank God I did. It saved me from my negative story I was telling myself. So what happens is when people start a negative conversation, they'll say like, I'm such an idiot. Why did you just do that? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I, I always F up. I always make mistakes. You say, I, 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 right? Myself, myself. Mm -hmm. Here's his hack that is scientifically proven. If you step outside of yourself, picture this. Is it easier to give Brenda advice, Julia, than for you to give yourself advice? Right. Totally. 100%. Okay. <laughs> Any moment in time. 100%. Okay. So it's always easier to advise others to tell them, we know the right thing for you to do, Brenda. But for me to tell myself, that's harder, right? So that's, this is the hack. You step outside of yourself and you pretend you're someone else. And the way you do that is you address yourself by name. So for, let's say it's me. Okay. So instead of saying, I'm such an idiot, I just blew that. I step outside of my, myself and I say, Heather, listen, 
that was a tough hit, but we've had a lot of tough hits. And Heather, you can freaking do this. And Heather, I believe in you. And you are going to get back up there right now, kid. And you are going to go for it. Nothing will stop you. Mm -hmm. We step out of ourselves. Instead of keeping it inside our head, we are now advising our good friend. We are now coaching someone else because right. we're all of a sudden you're problem person. solving instead of deprecating there you go but you have to do it in the third person you have to speak to yourself in the third person that's the most important part and it works that's such a good tip oh my gosh I feel like everyone's gonna use that we're gonna start using that we say it to each other all the time Ju. we always say or like why is it so much easier to give you advice why are you so logical when it comes to sharing things with me but when it comes to myself we could be in the same situation it comes out yeah. like this <laughs> um, but not when it's about yourself so incredible tip attention attention calling all sneaker lovers Calling all sneaker lovers. I have incredible news because our newest sponsor here at Roaring 20s Podcast is eBay. eBay is the original sneaker marketplace and it is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. Whether it's a rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you are looking for. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. So a team of experienced sneaker authenticators verified the logo, the box, the stitching, dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and it also protects sellers with a verified return policy. And for you sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection, which is just incredible. So go head over to ebay.com slash sneakers today dot eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. So go ahead, girl, go get yourself a pair of cute sneaks. You deserve it. Get a pair for your boyfriend, for your dad, your mom, your dog. I don't know. Everybody loves a good sneaker. Go head over to eBay and enjoy. And something that you said in your story before that I think is relevant to confidence, relevant to being in your 20s too, is I think people have this fear sometimes of seeming too confident, like as if it's this negative thing, you're going to come off as conceited. But you talked about specifically, you said you can't afford me to someone when it when they talked about a job. And I think that that is a really tricky subject. So of course, it comes with cultivating confidence and self-belief in what you do and what you're worth and all of that. But what are some of the steps that you took to actually like executing <laughs> and saying those things and believing them and not shying away and undervaluing yourself? I don't forget, I still undervalued myself. I still <laughs> said to that man, you can't afford me. And right. I still undervalue myself. So I can guarantee this, anyone listening, you are undervaluing yourself, right? Hmm. And even, this is so interesting because I'm on a board of directors for a publicly traded company. And my friend that nominated me to the board, which is very prestigious, sent me this job. And he said, apply for this job right now. And I read through the recs on the job. And a lot of it I was definitely qualified for. And it was a, a ridiculous opportunity for a unicorn startup valued at billions of dollars. Like, huge, like life-changing money. And I'm reading through it. And then I got to a part and I didn't have experience in one part. And I thought to myself, I can't apply for that because I don't have that industry specific knowledge. And I had to pump the brakes on myself and say, who cares? Like, it's still my job to show up and apply because these people need to know me because I could change their life. Now, if they choose to say, Heather, you don't have that, that part, that's on them. That's fine. But it's my job to show up and, and offer that I can fix their problem, I can solve their problem, and I know that I'm the best solution. So, you know, obviously at 23 or 20, however old I was back then, I didn't know all of that. Mm -hmm. But I knew enough in that when you deal with people face to face, I could see this guy was really excited about me. There was something that he really wanted. And if people really want something, they're going to be willing to pay for it, right? So I knew. I didn't know what problem I was solving. Well, I found out. He had terrible salespeople. He didn't have a sales team. So I didn't have all the information at the time, but I could tell by his face. He was, his eyes were lighting up. He was like so excited. And I thought, okay, I've got something he wants. Yeah. And that's what got me to lead with, right? So if you go into a job interview, you have to do your homework. You have to research the people. You have to research the company. You have to write down specific examples and it can be examples in school. It doesn't matter, but you have to write down specific examples of problems that you solve and how you solved it so that you can add value and convince that person, you know, where you're going to add value for them, why you're the right fit. You need to ask for the job. My sister-in-law was just applying for a PhD program. And she and I did a run through of a dry interview with her, a mock interview. And at the end, she didn't, she was going to hang up the call. I said, what is that? You have to ask for the order. You have to ask, have I answered all of your questions? And if I haven't, 
can you tell me where I, where I left you short? And then they say, okay, no, actually you have great. If this decision was yours and yours alone right now, would you vote yes for me? We need to find out from people all of the information, because if they're going to say, you know what, Julia, I'm going to vote. No, great. Can you tell me why, where, where did I fall short for you? Well, you know what? Let me tell you why. And now you can overcome that objection while you're still live with these people. Right? So these are just tips and hacks in regards to when you're going for a job, you know, when you're trying to show up, but know this, you are, if you're female, you're already undervaluing yourself a hundred percent. And I actually did a whole episode on this with Alex Carter, my podcast, go back and listen to it and immerse yourself in this thought process that you are worth more. And what is the worst that happens? You get told no. Well, now you can negotiate, which is engage in the conversation to say, if that number doesn't work for you, what is the budget that you're allocated right now? Right? So keep the conversation going. Tell me more. Keep asking questions and gain more information. I absolutely I love those tips and it's 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 funny because like I did it I did it to myself today like I literally <laughs> did it today someone you know I was asked by someone what I wanted to make this year and I paused so hard to say what I knew I was worth making I know that I'm worth a certain number when it comes to my field and what I can do and I stopped so hard before I was able to write that number down because I was like, but you don't have this yet and you don't have this to prove it or you, you didn't do this yet or this other person has that. And then, and I, I'm proud of myself because I did end up giving the number that I do think I'm worth, which is also, you're right, also undervalued. <laughs> but, but it's so hard to even know it. You, you can know it. And it's still so hard to push away those thoughts that someone might be better or you haven't hit this milestone yet. Okay, let, let, let me tell you something. There's always going to be someone that's better. There's always going to be someone that's hit the milestone. That's right. irrelevant. It's right. not about the one thing. It's about the compilation. Exactly. So for me, and you need to know your strong suit. My strong suit is my sales skills. That's what I'm really powerful and good in, right? So to me, I know I'm going to be able to uncover more. I'm going to be able to ask for more. I'm going to be able to go for the clothes where maybe the other girl that's applying for this job is going to be smarter, better, whatever. I know she doesn't know what I know. So I don't have to be the best at everything. And I think a great analogy or person to look to on this is Jennifer Lopez, right? That woman, she's not the best singer I've ever seen, right? She's not the best actress. However, she's getting at 50 years old headlining when everyone says you're too old to be doing anything. She's, do you, you, you want to tell me that Billie Eilish isn't a better singer in her twenties or Beyonce or you know, all these people younger of course they are. We all know it, right? But it doesn't matter. It's the uh, fact that she markets and sells yeah. herself and has this confidence that no one can hold a candle to her. And suddenly she gets all the deals. And I'll never forget, I was in Las Vegas. This is right before pandemic. I was speaking at an event for the WNBA out there. And my event was on the marquee, you know, on the on Las Vegas Strip. I don't know if you guys have been there, but it's these huge signs, right? And there was my event. And I was like, oh my God, my, it wasn't my face, but it was my event. And I was so like, this is it. Like, I, and then I kept driving. I'm in the Uber and the next marquee is Jennifer Lopez's face. And I, in my mind, I stopped and I said, you know what? If she can get up there and get a marquee, I want my face on the marquee. So it's about like identify people like a Jennifer Lopez, where you can understand, like, I truly understand doesn't take away. I'm not taking away from her. I'm applauding her. Like you go like that is amazing. Yeah. But that also means that I can do that. And you can too. It's about not make it that Jennifer Lopez moment for you. Like, I'm not going to let the fact that I'm not the smartest person hold me back. She didn't. And I'm not either. I'm still going to get my face on that marquee. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, that's, that's incredible. And seriously, I feel like we see more and more that the type of, we attribute people's success to so many other factors when at the end of the day, it really does come down to, of course, there's like their skill and their work ethic and everything, but the energy that you bring is everything. And I think that's exactly what attracts people why confidence is so attractive because it feels so few and far between because we allow things like the fear of being rejected or asking for something and being told no. Um, and it's, it's crazy how much we let it affect certain things. And I feel like do you and I do something, we love this podcast so much. We love our show so much and we have so much belief in it that we continue to reach out to people that maybe someone would consider like quote unquote out of our league. Yeah. <laughs> um, but because we choose to lead with so much belief and continue to put one foot in front of the other, I feel like we've been able to, you know, Know, connect with some people that we wouldn't have expected to connect with over the past few months because our belief and energy in this is so strong. Um, and it feels like a strange example to use because here we are, <laughs> but I, we see that more and more because our belief and our energy and what we do, I think shines through. 
Um, and it's funny because we do that in something that we're doing here together. But I think in our individual moments in our careers and all of this, we have some hesitation when you're when it feels like you're flying solo. It is easier when you have a partner. <laughs> um, I'm curious, though, Heather, what you mentioned before about you, you knowing that this was what you could bring to the table. This is the, the thing that you shine in. For a woman in her 20s who hasn't yet been able to identify that, who can't pinpoint, this is what I bring to the table that's unique, that's different, that's amazing. Where would you tell her to start? What is what is the tip to starting to find that thing about yourself, that million dollar, that golden ticket? There's a couple of things here because one is, I feel like you're asking about finding out like what is your superpower, what's really yes. unique and valuable and different about you, right? So for that, I would say journaling is one of the most powerful tools because that's when you're alone. You're not afraid of being judged. So you'll write down things like today I got to do A, B, C, and D. I loved it. You know, that felt amazing. I, I felt so happy. Like writing down how you truly feel without fear of being judged and then reflect on it. Go back and read it, right? I, I've kept a journal my entire life. So I can go back and I can now see anytime I was speaking, I was always, I loved I That was so great. It's so clear to me now that should have been something I was pursuing at a younger age, but I didn't, I just didn't know to stop and say, wait a minute. I love doing this. Why am I spending time doing things I don't love? Spend time doing things you love. You love it because there's a connection there. You're good at it. It comes easy to you. You just don't realize not everybody's great at it. You're, you think, oh, everyone's great at that. That's what I used to think. I'm like, oh, I guess everyone's good at this and, and has fun doing it. No, start noticing what you enjoy doing, what people start saying like, wow, you killed it at that. That was amazing. And write that down, write that in your journal and create, it's it's a guide for you that's going to show you where you're meant to go. The other thing I would suggest doing is think back to who you were when you were a kid. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be an actress and people would tell me, you can't do that. You can't make money. And once I heard you can't make money acting, I said, oh, I'm not going to, okay, forget that. No, I don't want to do that anymore. Stop it. And I remember that I was in fourth grade when I made that decision, like, oh, if I can't, someone said me can't make money doing this. And I said, okay, then I'm done. And so when I started, this is only recently, you know, reflecting really on my life and looking back at my childhood, what were the things that I wanted to do before other people told me I couldn't do them? That was it. I know that was it. Is it shocking now that I end up on stages speaking in front of thousands of people? That's similar, right? Like there's a connection there. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying I'm acting in a movie, but like there's something similar to that experience for me that I get it now. I'm like, all these things were pointing to, I didn't know in fourth grade, I could be a speaker or this or, or had value to add. I didn't know any of that, but I knew I liked being on a stage. So there's all these things in your life that if you start noticing, they're pointing you a direction and people will say, yeah, but I like painting and, or I like working with kids and you can't make money. Don't forget about the money side. I didn't know you could make money in speaking. Okay. And that's because I didn't learn about the speaking industry. I just kept my head in my one little industry. Don't do that. You have to pick your head up. You have to start searching things online, researching, like start asking questions. And maybe you find out that maybe you're not the greatest painter in the world and that's your passion and what you really want to do. But the more you start spending time in art galleries and with artists and in conversations about art, you start figuring out you're great at picking the paintings that are going to sell for the most. And the next thing you figure out is that you're the one that should own the gallery. Now you just need financing, right? Like you have to start immersing yourself step-by-step step to move towards what that unknown is that we don't know. But by taking steps, that's going to build confidence in you. That'll build momentum in you. And that will push you to that next conversation. And you never know which door you're going to unlock. That's going to be the one that says, oh, here's where it all came together. And I get it now. Yeah, definitely. That makes so much sense. And I feel like something that we see over and over again is people feeling like they have to live their lives passively and just doing it because that's what they think they're supposed to do. And why so many things that kind of force you to think outside the box or really under asking yourself, we ask each other and ourselves all the time, what would I be doing differently if nobody else had anything to say about it, <laughs> you know? And it unlocks so many things that were like, oh shoot, like I would be doing this differently. Um, and I think that especially within your twenties, again, th there a good amount of people do end up going to college, not everyone and no shame in whatever people choose to do. But I think people have this like shame around changing what it is that they said they were going to do. So people stay stuck in, I don't know, in business school or something and feel like they can't shift to something different and really taking those steps, like you said, to identify what is it that I love? What am I talented at? What would I be doing differently? Makes such a difference. But I'm curious about one of the driving forces behind your company is elevating others. And why do you think it's so important? And how does it help us in our own confidence? Like viewing, instead of viewing others as constant competition, <laughs> like how can we kind of merge the two and elevate others and ourselves? 
Well, you know, there it's an interesting thing around competition because first of all, when you are a threat, you will always be a target. So sometimes mm-hmm. if you go in feeling confident and feeling good about yourself, that's going to intimidate others and they're going to start targeting you and the haters are going to start coming. And you have to learn that that is the moment to applaud yourself because you are badass and people are intimidated by you. And you know what? That's on them. That's not on you. I used to think it meant, oh, dial down, you know, be quiet. Don't speak up as much. Maybe that'll make them feel more comfortable. It does not work. You dimming your light will never brighten someone else's ever. In fact, it makes the world a darker place. And your job in this life is to make the world a brighter place, a better place, right? So start moving, dial up your light. And I wish I had known this back in my 20s. I spent so many years trying to dial it down. Holy cow, I could be president of the United States right now. Pisses me off. So anyhow, then we wouldn't have to worry about having 78 year old men leading the country. So, you know, that's number one is really, you've got to turn up your light, even when it intimidates other people. The other thing around competition is, you know, yes, there are some people that you could meet my social media girl that runs my social media. She's gorgeous. She's so young. She's in her late twenties, beautiful, so smart. And yeah, I can say, I don't want to, I'm so much older than her. Why would I want to be around her? Or I can say, She's going to see things differently than me. She's going to have a different energy than me. She's going to have different contacts than me. She's going to have different perspective than me. Wait, I need that in my life. Like, why not embrace that and say, we'll both be stronger, you know, together because I'm so much older than her. I don't need to focus on the fact she doesn't have wrinkles. You know, I can say, wow, I do have wrinkles, but I also have a 13-year-old son that I'm super proud about or my experience in my life. And like, I feel good about who I am. The better that you feel about how you are, the less you have to compare yourself to someone else. Doesn't mean we all don't have moments. I was at Soul Cycle this morning and there was a bunch of young 20 year olds in front of me working out. And I was like, oh my God, why don't I have that metabolism anymore? I'm so pissed. But you know what? That's like a fleeting moment. It's just, uh, oh, I remember what that was like. But you know what? I'm super proud of who I am. And gosh, I'm proud I'm on the bike right here hanging with these peeps, right? Like that's that. And I'm happy they're in front of me. Like they're pushing me to try harder. So like, it's starting to be grateful for what we have instead of focusing on what we don't have. Because the more we focus on what we don't have, the less we're going to have, right? We're not going to pull more abundance and positivity to, to us. So really embracing who you are, owning who you are, flaws and all, and knowing, I know my social media girl has flaws, right? Like I know everyone has flaws. I, I have tons of flaws, right? Like we all do. So it's about, you know, embrace the flaws and all in yourself first. And then you'll start to recognize, even though that person's Instagram looks perfect, I know that they're not. You know what? I I can look at anyone's Instagram. I don't care who it is. You can show me anyone's and I'll say, they're not showing the whole picture because they're not. And so I, I like to use this one example. There's this woman who's a complete whack job. Here's the thing. Everyone knows someone who's a total whack job but tries to pretend like they have this really amazing image. Oh, so yeah. anytime you, you see someone like that on social, unfollow them, number one, because if they bring you bad vibes, you don't need them. But also you can feel bad for them or laugh about it because you can say, oh, I bet this is a case like blah, blah, blah that I know. <laughs> we all know when you really know her behind the scenes is the one freaking falling down basket case. Yeah. But when you turn on the Instagram, everyone else is like, she's just doing great. And you're like, oh, okay. So I keep that person in my mind for when someone's like, oh, did you see this or that? You know, number one, I unfollow people. If I don't, if I don't feel good around them, that those aren't my peeps. You know, I don't, I, nothing personal. It's just not for me. But I also remind myself of those people that I do know that aren't portraying a real image and know that that's probably the same thing. It's yeah. amazing what social media can make us think about ourselves going back to, you know, telling yourself those stories that aren't true. I mean, when you think about comparison, I know, I think you actually just, post about comparison today or yesterday or something because it's so in our face all the time and it's so attributes to the stories that we tell ourselves so it's so important to like be able to disconnect and tell yourself the right story tell yourself the true story the confidence story I'm curious this is like a selfish selfish question but if you could give yourself like a rating on the confidence scale from like one to ten one being like no confidence at all 10 being like I am the president of the United States like I I have that confidence power level if you could give yourself like uh, a rating when you were in maybe your early 20s and a rating now where where would where would Heather early 20s be on the confidence scale and where would she be now and what what made you have the biggest jump you know, I see confidence differently than a lot of people do because I don't see it as like an overall rating I see it more like this 
confidence in my health and my wellness and working out, confidence in being a parent, confidence in my knowledge. And, and I'm not just saying like academic, but just like information, experiences, stuff like that, right? Like confidence in who I choose to surround myself with, confidence in my line of work or at work, right? Like there's all, all these different, confidence in personal relationships, intimate relationships. So there's all these different places in our life. And there, let me tell you, it's, and I know this for a fact, if say you are a 10 at work, you're not a 10 in your relationships. You're not a 10 in your health. You're not, it, it doesn't just go all not across like the line that. like that. So, so here's the thing in my twenties, my confidence, my health was killer. Like I was on fire. I would freaking run 10 miles. I was in the best shape of my life, right? Like my <laughs> health and con- my confidence and my health and my physical was off the charts. Like best ever. And I was clear on that. I knew that, right? Like I felt really good in that. My confidence in my relationships were, my personal relationships were not great. My confidence at work was okay. Mm. My confidence in my self-worth was not great. That was low, right? So it's like, there was a lot of variation. It was a lot of, you know, up and down, up and down based upon the different things. The biggest catalysts, there's plural in my life, you know, there's a lot, but I'd say the biggest two things I'd point to would be the birth of my son totally changed what was important to me in life and totally changed the way I saw love and in a relationship and, and unconditional love and how I saw the meaning of life, everything that 13 years ago changed my life probably more than anything. So that's number one, that really changed so much about who I am as a person. And then number two, uh, the other big moment, I mean, there's a lot of other ones like getting divorced is a bit like there's a lot of low moments that really shaped or pushed me into figuring out more about who I am, which is a personal journey, which is so important. And I pray everyone goes down that road to really learn who they are and like become the best version it takes a lot of work and yeah. deliberate, you know, intention, but getting fired for me, you know, after 14 years and really putting a lot of value into external things, my paycheck, my title, my responsibility, you know, and being perceived in a certain way and, and having that taken away from me when I thought it was a given and a certain that's the other like that's another really big moment that taught me confidence isn't something on the outside that can be given to you that you're awarded right because I'd won a lot of awards that's for sure but confidence isn't awarded confidence is something that you have inside that no one can ever take from you and that lesson has been a hard one to learn because for so long I looked externally to get it. So now I would say my confidence in my physical health is not as good, right? I've thrown my back out. I can't run as far as I used to. I have, I have knee injuries. Like the health confidence and fitness confidence is much lower than it used to be, right? Which sucks. However, like it's all where you, where do you decide to put your attention and effort to address situations, right? And my work confidence is much higher. However, I'm a, still a newbie entrepreneur. I'm only three years in, you know? So I try to remind myself that I don't have it all figured out on what is the best product to sell? What's the best go-to-market strategy? What is my competition working? Like, this is all new to me in this entrepreneur space. So I'm making a lot of mistakes and that sometimes feels difficult because I came from being an expert in the industry where I knew everybody, I knew the next answer. I knew, I knew things years out what was going to happen because I had been there for 14 years, right? So I try to give myself grace now that you haven't been here 14 years. You've been here three, you're learning, like you're going to figure it out, right? So, I mean, overall, my confidence is much higher, but I'm not saying it's at a perfect 10 where I have every answer and I wake up every morning knowing today's going to go, you know, blissfully. No, they they don't. I have the moments like the TEDx where I walk out there and I'm like, holy cow, am I actually going to walk out or am I running off the stage? I some days I don't know. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's so valuable. And it, it's funny That's because valuable. Yeah. we we talk a lot about like balance, right? And we're like, what even is balance? Is balance even a thing? Because realistically, we only have 100% of ourselves to give. And sometimes more attention is going to go to things like work or maybe kids or sometimes health and fitness. And there are so many more pieces of ourselves. Like I think we often do look at things very generally and we're like, oh, our confidence um, or, or this or oh, that. But you're right. It, it does really attribute differently in different categories. And I think at the end of the day, kind of like you said, that our confidence really does come from like whether we're aligning with things that are important to us or not. And that energy reflects, like I know for myself, we talk about our morning routines and some days they're more elaborate and some days they're not. But when we choose to show up for ourselves in whatever ways are important to each of us individually, that has the craziest impact on our confidence because we genuinely feel like we're showing up. And I think that with aligning in general, like something throughout our 20s, it's something that's just really had to be a choice, I feel like, and not something that we learn about so much before. But what you said about stop 
putting a stop to attributing our value to things that are external to us. We talk about like being less shaken by things in our external world that are outside of our control when we're so certain of the value that we have that, like you said, nobody could take away from us. So I feel like our audience is, is going to listen to this episode on repeat <laughs> over and over again because it's been incredible. But we know, Heather, that you obviously are a speaker, a podcaster. You have so many incredible things that you do. And we wanted to make this episode a little bit different from you know all these interviews that you do. So we're curious, is there something that like your audience doesn't know about you or something that you have and shared. Yeah. Something like that. Probably not. <laughs> I, I don't, I, there may be one thing, but I'll tell you, I'm announcing, I announced it in my new book, so I'm not going to talk about it today, but yeah. I, there are some people in my life that know about this situation that happened, but the general public does not know this. My new book, which comes out in November will be the first time that I ever share that. Publicly. Oh well, now you didn't. If you didn't want it before, now you definitely <laughs> want it. But I knew you wanted it before. Uh, Heather, you have been so incredible. We just have a couple little last questions for you before we let you go. Speaking of Brenna brought up routine, do you have any daily practices or rituals or routines that you do every day that are really important to you? Yeah, it's such a funny thing. Well, exercise is always super important to me, so I try to make that front and center. But I just interviewed a Holocaust survivor, a 93-year-old doctor, female. And she told me the way she got out of the Holocaust alive is that she would talk to herself every morning about how this was going to be a great day and how things were going to be fantastic. And she said she studied this her whole life and career. And there is research to show that it impacts yourself physically, mentally, that, that impact. And so I, when she told me that, I'm like, I'm going to take that on every morning. I'm going to say that to myself. Why wouldn't I? Right? Like, it can't hurt us. So, but it helped this woman get through a Holocaust. I'm taking that on. So every morning now I'm like, yeah, I'm like, today is going to be a great day because I am worth it and I am going to make it happen. And, you know, focusing on gratitude and the things that we're grateful for is always something to lead with getting your body moving in some way. If you can meditate, which I don't do every day, please like keep it real. I do not. Some mornings my son and I are leaving here like a bat out of hell at 6.30 a.m. so he can catch the bus and it's freaking back to back and I don't get to work out and I didn't meditate and I didn't, I forgot to tell myself how you know grateful I am. Right, there's plenty of days, but you just cut yourself some slack and it, like tomorrow's a new day and pick it back up again. Absolutely. Oh, thank you for sharing that with us. I love that. And it's actually something that I've been doing. I don't know where I got it from, but I, I, t- I take my dog out for a walk first thing every day and every day I've been saying it's a beautiful day it's gonna be a good day and like just taking a big deep breath of fresh air I don't know where I got it from but I've actually been doing that lately um so I'm gonna keep doing it because it's gonna work everyone is gonna start our last couple questions for you Heather if you could tell your 20s year old self one thing what would it be listen to you over everyone else. I don't care what anyone else is saying. You have all of your answers inside of you now and forever. Always pick you. Gosh, my goodness. Um, and our last question, Heather, is where can people find you? Where can they find you if they want to work with you, if they want to listen to the podcast, get your book, all that stuff? Yeah, I'm, my website's heathermonahan.com. It's got everything there. I'm on all social media at Heather Monahan. My first book is Confidence Creator. My second book is Leapfrogging Villains, and my podcast is Creating Confidence with Heather Monaghan. Incredible. We can't wait for the book. Heather, thank you so, so much for being here with us. This was such an honor, such a joy, and goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Roaring 20s Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring Twenties Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.